to the Lyrical Persuasion Podcast, the podcast that takes songs, music, genres, and takes not only the great music that you like to hear, but also the lyrics to analyze them, talk about them, appreciate them, and of course, fight about them back and forth. I am your co-host, Steve Castellanovo, and over there is uh, my other co-host, Jason Perkins. Hello, hello. So, what's going on? Um, Already episode three, and each episode gets more amazing after the next. We've been looking back at the lost year of the Billboard Top 100 of 1989. Uh, so far, so good. The uh, songs have all paid off. They're all amazing songs, and um, this is a great endeavor. It's been a lot of fun so far. Just to recap for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, uh, on episode one, I think it was uh, Jason who took that round, took that first episode, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. Sir. And then uh, episode two, I came back. So uh, for the all-time lyrical podcast or lyrical persuasion podcast record, we are both one and one. So again, the concept is pretty neat. We just pick our favorite songs, pick our favorite genres of uh, music, or we'll be getting into different formats, different. Uh, um, different ways of analyzing the lyrics and we're not just talking about uh, the songs themselves or the uh, instrumentation or the musicality of the songs we're going to talk about the lyrics too and we've found an interesting section of our list of top 100 to go through this one was a tough one this uh, episode is definitely going to be uh, challenging us to our uh, mental limit to come up with uh, our favorites for the lyrics. We were here coming up with uh, which songs we were going to choose for our side today, and uh, there's definitely another theme. There are a lot of themes going on that we can pick out from these lists, and we are already at numbers 59 through 40. Can you believe it? I cannot, actually. Yeah, it's going by so fast. Uh, you know, time flies when you're having fun, as they say, and Right now, I'm going to read backwards from 59 to 40, the Billboard Top 100 hits. So, starting at 59 is Cherish by Madonna. 58, Sowing the Seeds of Love from Tears for Fears. Former Osmond family, or I guess not a former, you can't really be former of your family, I guess. Um, but uh, Donny Osmond came back with a hit at 57 with Soldier of Love. Dino told us that he liked it at 56. At 55, Express Yourself from Madonna. At 54, Satisfied by Richard Marks. 53, Armageddon It from Def Leppard. New Kids on the Block came in at 52 with You Got the Right Stuff. It was one of their three hits that are going to be in this year. Love and Rockets came in with a hit called So Alive. At number 50, My Heart Can Tell You No by Rod Stewart. Another New Kids on the Block hit, Hangin' Tough, at number 49. Bobby Brown had his amazing solo album with Every Little Step at 48. Pre-alternative music rockers, the B-52s, came in with their huge smash, Love Shack, at number 47. Jody Watley had her hit, Real Love, at 46. Michael Damien of Young and the Restless fame covered an old uh, Tommy Shandell song, I think from the 60s, called Rock On. Prince showed us that soundtracks are amazing and marketable by writing the Bat Dance song from the Smash Batman uh, reboot, so to speak. Great White had once been twice shy at number 43. Young MC came in and busted a move at number 42. The Lover in Me was Sheena Easton's hit in 1989 at number 41. And finally, from this block, we're taking The Fine Young Cannibals with their hit, Good Thing, at number 40. Okay, so now that I've replayed all those uh, songs back to you, uh, we're going to go ahead and choose our songs. And I think I'm going to go first for no other reason other than the fact that my three songs are at the bottom of that list and I'm just going to read mine first and then uh, Jay will go ahead and just briefly 
read his and then we're going to fight it out. So first round, I am going to choose Sowing the Seeds of Love lyrically from Tears for Fears at number 58. My second song is going to be 51, So Alive from Love and Rockets. And I'm going to end my argument with Every Little Step from Bobby Brown at number 48. Meanwhile, <clears throat> meanwhile, I'm going to start off with number 49, Hanging Tough, or Hanging Tough by New Kids on the Block. Then I'm going to drop down to 44 with Bat Dance. Yes, Bat Dance. And I'm going to finish it up with number 43, Once Bitten, Twice Shy by Great White. So like I said, you can glean some themes from the songs that we've chosen. This week, my theme is, I'm going deep. And this theme, uh, Jay's not, <laughs> he's, he's not too, uh, you know, you're not going to really, I guess, think so hard. So I think maybe the challenge is before you to uh, try to convince me of how amazing your lyrics are as opposed to mine, I think. I mean, you gotta, it's like when you don't see it coming and then it comes, that's what my lyrics are going to do out of nowhere. All right, well, like uh, like Randy Orton from WWE coming out of nowhere. Um, all right, cool. Well, I guess then I'm gonna start off with the Tears for Fears hit, sowing the seeds of love. So Tears for Fears is one of the again international bands that have had a great deal of success. They're one of the few ones to have almost as much success. In the United States as they have uh, internationally or from their uh, own country and they had an amazing album in the early 80s just hit after hit with uh, everyone wants to rule the world shout and and other songs that really don't come to mind right now the band went through a little bit of a turmoil there was a worry where uh, one of the uh, lead singers and songwriters wasn't even going to be able to be with the band anymore he had suffered a throat illness and uh, there was doubt that they would even uh, continue coming uh, back as a band and then six years later they came back with another great album Sowing the Seeds of Love so I'm going to talk about the uh, seminal song off of that album Sowing the Seeds of Love. podcast before you see a great deal of acts from the 60s and 70s having hits in the 80s like the Grateful Dead Moody Blues uh, Aerosmith's revival we talked about that and during the late 80s you saw a lot of a reaction away from the kind of the greed generation and back to you know the baby boomers is 40 year old sitting around going what do we do what happened we were all about peace and love and now we're driving Maseratis and doing whatnot. But uh, I think some people were turning back in on themselves and thinking introspectively about what really is going on in the world. And Sowing the Scenes of Love from Tears for Fears is a perfect example of that. This band has already established the fact that they don't necessarily want to do this straight, poppy, uh, cliched lyrics from their first two songs, uh, first two hits in the United States, and they followed that up with Sowing the Seeds of Love. So, uh, give you a perfect example, uh, the bridge into the first, first verse, 
High time we made a stand and shook up the views of the common man. The love train rides from coast to coast. DJ's the man we love the most. Could you be, could you be squeaky clean and smash any hope of democracy? As the headline says, you're free to choose. There's egg on your face and mud on your shoes. First of all, right there, the first part before they go into the chorus of sowing the seeds of love. These lyrics right now are obviously throwing back to protesting, throwing back to shaking up the status quo and re-reminding people that it wasn't a short 20 years ago we were fighting for peace and love and humanity, you know, all kinds of tension to end, um, all kinds of injustice to end. But now we kind of walk around as if like nothing ever happened or as if everything's great. And it's, it's, it's interesting that a band like Cheers for Fears uh, brings it up in the, in the sense that, you know, they could have just done like a really hooky uh, pop tune and called it a day. But no, they uh, went ahead and re-reminded us in the 80s that sometimes music can be transformative and sometimes the lyrics can be transformative too. So if you want to put it together uh, like that and, and really uh, resend the message that, uh, you know, we need to be a lot closer as uh, human beings than we kind of are and what has gone wrong, uh, we need to try to fix. In the second verse, it goes on to say, Politician granny with your high heels, have you no idea how the majority feels? So without love and a promised land, we're fools to the rules of a government plan. Kick out the style, bring back the jam, yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting little end right there. First of all, politician granny with your high heels. I'm not 100% sure whom this is referencing. I'm going to go ahead and assume that going to assume that there's some politician that they're kind of backhandedly slapping there. And then um, at the end, kick out the style and bring back the jam. I think these lyrics kind of speak back to actually the Motor City Five, their, their uh, major hit, kick out the jams. Many uh, rock critics and uh, famous uh, Hall of Fame rock bands claim that this song from the Motor City Five, Kick Out the Jams, was the first, in fact, not only hard rock, but heavy metal song, punk rock song, way back in 1968. So um, I think that's a throwback to that song where, you know, it was Kick Out the Jams, you know, tear down the establishment and make a new society. Well, here in the lyrics of Sowing the Seeds of Love, they say we've, we've gotten to, into style. We've, we've, we've stylized our, our protesting. We've, we've made everything cute and we've made everything uh, trendy, but protests shouldn't be trendy. They should mean something. So maybe this lyric here suggests kick out the style and bring back the jam, kind of like in the late 60s, no less than 20 years ago as of writing this song that, again, we need to get back to that uh, mentality that we need to change the world and we need to start really waking everyone up. So in closing, I just want to say that all throughout the song, uh, the, the band implores people to really explore their minds and hearts, put down all of your accoutrements, put down all of your luxuries, feel the pain, talk about it, shout about it, open hearts, feel about it, Swallow your pride, open your eyes. Mr. England sowing the seeds of love. Time to eat all your words. Maybe that's a little bit of a reference there to another politician uh, that they, you know, are, are talking about. And again, I like these lyrics because they kind of remind us what, uh, what the uh, 60s and what music was for, was to speak truth to power and go ahead and, you know, bring back that whole spirit of change, real change, that we kind of lost after about 20 years. That's what I'm going with, with Sowing the Seeds of Love by Tears for Fears. Alright, <clears throat> so my first song I'm going to go with is going to be Hanging Tough by New Kids on the Block. A band from, I believe, Boston, New England area, home of clam chowder and deflated footballs, and of course, Marky Mark. So, I start this one off just by saying these five words repeatedly, or this one word repeatedly. 
talk about how they're telling everyone to look out for them. They're tough. They're hanging tough. They're staying around. They're not going to get knocked down. They're going to get back up repeatedly, so forth and so on. They're going to put you in a trance with a funky song. They're, they're bragging. They're braggarts. It's true. This is a song for bragging. But it has a deeper meaning in these lyrics that people don't really see. And I'm going to start off with the first part of the meeting, the first part of the lyrics. Everyone's talking about who's on top. Don't cross a path, because you're going to get stomped. Listen up, everybody, if you want to take a chance. Just get on the floor and do the new kid's dance. Don't worry about nothing, because it won't take long. slack and you knock us down we're gonna come right back so well, that's the second verse not the first but I'll go back with that too so I want you to think about that and now I want you to think about the first words I talked about oh 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 now I want to recontextualize those and I'm gonna remix them a little bit so I'm gonna change one of the words to oh we oh 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 now, for those of you with a great ear for my tone deafness, you can you notice that that is from the Wizard of Oz. It's the Flying Monkeys chant song. The Wizard of Oz is about a girl who was put in a trance due to a storm and transported to a magical world where she wound up on top of a witch. And that witch came back via her sister. And her sister and her flying monkeys made it tough for Dorothy to get home. So what's actually happening is, happening is this song is a metaphor for the Wizard of Oz. The house was dropped on the witch because the witch got in the path of the house. She got stomped. Dorothy was knocked down multiple times. She got back up. The new kids talked about putting you in a trance with a funky song earlier in the song. They're saying, oh, 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 flying monkeys, oh, we, oh, oh, we, oh. And when you think about it that way, this is pretty much saying that the new kids on the block are the Wicked Witch of the West. They've come to take over like a twister to knock down all the young ladies put them in a trance, send them to Oz so they can dream dreams of a bunch of men older than them, helping them to get home. Yes, the new kids on the block are the Wizards of Oz. They're the witch, they're the wicked witches. They are all of those things. And this song is a metaphor for that. It points out that they're hanging in there just like the wizard hung in 
on his balloon as he floated away from Kansas into Oz and how he floated away and left Dorothy stranded. And that's what the new kids on the block did for all their fans. They floated away. They left. They were predicting the future. But just like when the wizard left Kansas, he came back. Just like when Dorothy left, she came back. And the new kids, they also came back to help their fans and take them out of that trance. So that's what Hanging Tough is truly about. Uh, wow. You know what? Now that I've heard your explanation behind it and I was thinking about it as you were talking, uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to kind of agree with that because I am unfortunately the victim of a marriage to a blockhead. Uh, myself, my wife is a Donnie Wahlberg fan in particular, and um, he, in fact, has swooped down, landing on top of my wife like a, a house full of bricks, and just like smashed her whole world. I'm sure at one point my, my wife was like, when she was 12, 13, somewhat rational, somewhat sane, and then bam, out of nowhere, a house named Donnie Wahlberg just lands on her head and, and smashes her and then just takes basically the rest of her being up into his evil, uh, uh, money-making, overproduced poppiness balloon and took off into the atmosphere with her. So, uh, I, I, as shocked as I am, I think I'm going with you on this one. I'm giving you the point for this. I feel like the way that you uh, fully encapsulated the evil that Maurice Starr was perpetrating on the world by loosening these five boys from South Boston onto the world, I think you perfectly encapsulated that by your explanation. So congratulations, you won the first round, so. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I can't, uh, I, I don't think I could, like, really go any, really go anywhere with that. It was just, uh, it was, it was, it was too cool of an explanation for me to try to rebut it. So, now, speaking of being mesmerized by someone of the, uh, that you're attracted to, so, uh, someone possibly of uh, the opposite sex, my next song I'm going to go with is from a band that formed after a, another groundbreaking band broken up. And usually that's how these things go. I don't know if you've noticed a lot where you see this band that's on the underground or you see this band that uh, has some really, um, you know, really groundbreaking stuff that only like the cool kids are listening to or whatever. And the minute that they get major exposure, they either break up or something happens, but then the, or the side project will get together with some other musicians from another band and make a, a, a better band. And for some, now when, well, I shouldn't say better band, but make another band. And then that band have actually more commercial success than the first band. I don't know if you've ever like yeah. noticed that. Yeah. It's kind of like how the Beatles started off and they had Pete Best and then Clarence and they let go of both of those guys and, you know, became who they were. Yeah, I understand. Right, exactly. So, um, so I, w I was talking about the lyrics uh, being about uh, a mysterious uh, person uh, from across the room sweeping off your feet, a la uh, New Kids on the Block with their fans. And the band I'm talking about was a band that uh, part of the musicians of that band were in the uh, new wave pioneers Bauhaus. They broke off and formed another band in the 80s that had a uh, relatively uh, good success, especially with their kind of one hit wonder 1989. The band is Love and Rockets, and the song is So Alive.
So what I really like about uh, this song is that it's weird and simple at the same time. Something that you would kind of expect from some former members of Bauhaus. As we said last week, the most simple songs, the most successful songs, usually end up being written in, in like 20 minutes. So this song, Daniel Gaston Ash claims that he wrote at a party. <laughs> Basically, I think he dragged David J down uh, to a quiet place in, in, in the party house or whatever after he had met a girl who basically swept him off, uh, off his feet. As he walked in the door, he was just thinking about her for about 10 minutes as they were making eye contact from across the room. So he grabs, uh, so uh, Daniel Gaston Ash grabs uh, David Jay and brings him downstairs and, and basically says, wow, th there's an amazing uh, girl upstairs I'd like to get to know. But uh, the cool part of it, too, is I think a song came to me. So they wrote the lyrics out and uh, they basically hummed along to some instrumentation. And as soon as they were able, I think the next day they got into a recording studio and they cranked out So Alive. So this was a pretty good hit for them. Um, it went up to uh, number three at one point in the year of 1989. And... Again, kind of uh, an accident, but a, a happy accident nonetheless. And the reason why I uh, enjoy these lyrics is, again, like I said, they're 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 just weird enough, but they're also very simple. You could tell by the songs of 1989 that some of the, I guess we would call them alternative bands, but really, I guess at, at that time you would call them what college bands were uh, getting some serious run. Uh, R.E.M. had their smash hit Losing My Religion that year and Stan and whatnot. The B-52s, as we mentioned earlier, with Love Shack uh, for a long time. They were a college party band of uh, bouffants and uh, throwback music. So there were some uh, bands that were kind of off the beaten path, not necessarily super popular by any standards, but because they were able to tap into uh, a pop type hit. Uh, they became relevant during 1989 and the band Love and Rockets was so alive was no different. So as far as the lyrics go, the first two verses right here, I don't know what color your eyes are, baby, but your hair is long and brown. Your legs are strong and you're so, so long and you don't come from this town. So right away, uh, she's so striking that you can notice things right away, but then you're still in shock that you don't notice things. Um, you know, they usually say that the eyes are the first thing that people notice, but uh, because of her presence, her aura was so amazing. Like, he didn't even see her eyes right away because she, he just saw this uh, uh, brunette-haired beauty uh, who just stood out almost head and shoulders above everyone else at the party. My head is full of magic, baby, and I can't share this with you. The feel I'm on across again lately, but there's nothing to do with you. The fact that he's so swept up by, just by her looks, that he is uh, just in a strange place. His head is full of magic. He's in another world. You might want to read into that. Uh, cross metaphor or something maybe like a religious experience that he's having by, by meeting her uh, but of course you go into the actual chorus and he says I'm alive so alive and this feeling that he's feeling that basically just meets the woman of his dreams he just feels more alive uh, than ever now I do want to point out that these lyrics are not based on any kind of drug use that was very uh, clear in an interview. Dave Gaston Ash made it clear that it wasn't has nothing to do with drugs, nothing to do with any other substance or being drunk at the party or anything like that. It's just the amazingly incredible feeling he felt when he first laid eyes upon this beauty. At the end of the song he says, my head is full of magic baby and I can't share this with you. The feel I'm on top again baby, that's got everything to do with you. So at some point he's going to talk to her, he's going to express how he feels, and how he feels is just the highest level of elation, it's magic. 
is what he feels. Uh, he just feels so alive as he repeats it uh, over and over again. And that can't be understated. The feeling of your first crush, the feeling of your first love, the, the feeling that you feel when you think you may have met the person of your dreams. It's, it, and the lyrics are, are basic. They're not too complicated, but they're, but they, you don't have to have, uh, $10 vocabulary words to express a, uh, a 10 cent feeling, I guess. Everyone feels this way or has felt this way before. And, and, and it's kind of a weird, magical, tingly feeling that, that he's, he's going through. And uh, he expresses it in kind of that weird, laid back rock style. They were kind of going for a Lou Reed feel, if you can tell. Uh, even with the background singers, even for a while, I thought this might have been Lou Reed singing it, but uh, I learned differently later. So, you know, just the cool feeling of bliss that you feel is expressed in the song, both uh, musically with the style of music, but also with the lyrics. And that's why I'm picking So Alive for my second song. That song actually reminds me of um, the 13th by The Cure. It's a similar thing where he's so elated by seeing a woman across the room that he just loses all control and it's just jubilation. And that yeah. sounds about the same. It's like, it's amazing how those are parallels to each other. I think so, yeah. It's not a coincidence, I don't think. I don't think so. Because the one, the woman that he sees in the 13th isn't to parties. It's Baja reference. So yeah, the Bajas, yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I get it. All right, thanks. Awful. I know. Long way from the joke. Moving on. Moving on. All right. The next song that I'm going to argue, I'm not going to lie. I started it as a joke. Um, it's a, It was a joke pick. I was like, I'm going to pick this song because it has no words to it. And that's, of course... Bat Dance by Prince Rogers Nelson. Purified in the um, waters of Lake Minnetonka, Prince, the purple one, created the soundtrack for 1989's Batman. And he has some songs on there, Party Man. But Bat Dance is a song that we're going to talk about today. And when I listened to it and actually listened to the lyrics, what Prince did was he created an actual story that's actually pretty easy to follow by using the words from the movie and also some of his own um, vocals. So the song starts off with um, pretty much Batman talking about how he wants to be Batman. I'm Batman. I'm Batman repeatedly. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I'm doing it. It's Batman is a child. He's starting off. He wants to impress people. Oh, I'm Batman. Who am I? I'm Batman. Tell your friends about me. I'm Batman. That's what he's doing. That's what the first part of the song is. The first about two minutes and 15 seconds is Prince saying Batman wants to impress people by saying I'm Batman. So then what happens? He meets a girl. Who's that? It's Vicky Vale. It's Vicky Vale. Vicky Vale. Vicky Vale. He meets her and it becomes, oh, and I want to impress her. I want to impress her. It's Batman going through puberty, having these mixed feelings. She even says in the song, are we going to fall in love or what? He doesn't know. And then that's when Prince takes over his own lyrics and he says what he wants to do with Vicky Vale. Because as a teenager, your hormones take over. You can't control yourself. You have these mixed feelings. What do I want to do? What do I want to do? Do I want a relationship? Do I not? Do I want to be physical? Or do I not? I don't know.
And so the second part of the song is all about Batman falling in love or lust with Vicky Vale, his puberty, his hormones taking over. Then comes the third part. Joker comes back and he's like, hey, I'm here. What you going to do about it? And then Batman has to realize that he has to grow up. He can no longer just sit here and say, I'm Batman and I'm infatuated with this woman. I have to grow up. I have to deal with this situation with the Joker. But how? Do I kill him? No, I don't want to kill him. That's not the way to go. So he even has a mental conflict. He says, do I kill you? I don't want to kill you. Do I kill you? I don't want to kill you. He repeats it to himself because he doesn't know. And the Joker doesn't know what to do because the Joker is the Joker. And Batman's having to struggle with his, his power and soul. Power and soul. He's strong enough to kill the Joker, but he's a man who wants to keep his soul. So he's not going to kill the Joker. But he knows that the Joker is bad. So what does he do? What does he do? All he can do is dance. The Bat Dance. The Bat Dance is figuring out how to balance your life as a vigilante, as a person, as a boyfriend, as the future of the city. And at the end of the day, the real question is always, who's going to stop 200 balloons? Batman. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? I say that to all of my prey. You forgot that line too. That wasn't that or isn't isn't is, there? It's is in there. It's also uh, wasn't isn't. Uh, uh, and where is the Batman? Probably at home washing his tights. Is that in there too? That is not in there. That's not in there. Uh, how about Bob my gun? Is Bob my gun in there? No, no Bob my gun. Oh, that is an amazing scene, and that is that, ladies and gentlemen. That is the sole reason why. You want to befriend famous people. You see, I did a little bit of trivia. I don't know if you knew about uh, Bob's character in uh, uh, in uh, the Batman movie. So uh, Bob is actually one of or Nicholson's uh, boyhood friends from from home. And you know, Jack Nicholson had a really rough childhood growing up. He didn't. He wasn't able to make a lot of friends. Acting for him was an outlet. And one of the few friends he did, he did have, his name, I don't know, his name actually might be Bob. <laughs> and, and they've been friends forever. And, um, you know, basically Jack said, you want to be in a movie? Because, you know, Bob would never push or anything like that. And he's not really all that talented. But, you know, Tim Burton takes chances on people. And he cast Bob as Bob. And Bob was... Uh, the Joker's right-hand man. So when he said, Bob, my gun, he grabs a gun and he basically uh, shoots his best friend in the chest with a, with a fake gun. So that was Bob's big scene was, was being shot. So um, do, you feel, do you feel strong about that one? No, I don't. I, I, like I said, as much as I wanted to, it still is a joke post. It was a joke pick and it was... A joke. So are you, well, a joke from the Joker. So are you conceding it? I am conceding it. All right. You know what? Because that's so hilarious. I was actually this close to letting you have that one too. Oh. And because, uh, I, because I was going to say that uh, if anybody was brilliant enough as a lyricist to put together dialogue from a movie and intersplice it with a little bit of his own and come up with a pop hit, you know, the billboard of 1989, it could be nobody but Prince. Yeah, that is true. And, and, and just to be not only with the genius of doing that, but being so innovative as to like create lyrics out of other things. Um, uh, I, I, I've even toyed with the idea of taking, you know, bits and pieces of different songs or other poems and putting them together. You know, I even once uh, started writing uh, like a poem basically from uh, the taglines of famous pro wrestlers that didn't go as well as I had planned and somewhere hiding in a notebook from high school or something like that. Uh, but yeah, I was about ready to concede that point. But uh, now that you are, 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 are giving it up, uh, you know, I guess we'll go ahead and go into third round tied one to one. What do you think? All right. Sounds like a plan. All right. Well, I'm going to defer round three to you if if you want to go ahead and get your third and final song in, or do you want me to go? 
I can go. I can All right. Go. Go ahead, knock it out. All right, so I'm gonna finish off my theme of movies. Actually, first one was Wizard of Oz, Batman's the second one. Song this time is Great White's Once Bitten, Twice Shy. Now, this song is pretty much straightforward. There is no depth really to this. Times are getting hard for you, little girl. It's how it starts off. Then pretty much the first verse ends with you didn't know what rock and roll was until you saw my drummer on the great tour bus and then I came and I saved you. So what he's saying is, hey, my drummer is a creep. You didn't know that you got on the bus with him and I saved you. Yay. Then it becomes now we're on the road together. I've taken you with me, which in the 80s was well back in any time was a very bad thing in general. We'll talk about well, we won't talk about stuff with mud skippers and bands and people and their wives and all that craziness that would happen back then. But he takes the girl with him on his tour bus that they're touring around. And then the next thing happens is her sister is in the parking lot hooking up with a bunch of guys. So then you see the corruption of innocence from the girl. She now is her sister. It then progresses to the part where now he's on tour, but he can't leave his girl at home anymore because he comes home and she's with someone else. And there's a part where he says that there is blood on his speaker and his left paw is shattered. He had to kill a man, or at least beat a man, because the man was with his woman. And so he says that he can't trust her. And that's where it starts coming, the whole once bitten, twice shy comes in. I saved you, I took you on tour with me, and now I can't trust you because you're just going around, doing what you want to do. You're not being faithful to me. And the song is about how he is, well, he's, he's twice shy, once bitten, twice shy, just like when you get bit by a dog. You play with a dog a lot. You be like, oh, yeah, it's great. Have fun. Uh, yeah. Years you play with the dog. Years you play with the dog. And then one day it bites you. After that, you get nervous. You get kind of confused. You're like, do I really want to hang with this? Do I want to deal with this? Do I? Have I put myself into a predicament that I can't get out? And I don't know. That's what the song is about. Because it ends with him saying that he didn't know that his girlfriend was a rock and roll star until she saw her face on someone else's jacket. Meaning she has now surpassed him because he couldn't trust her. And he was right. Because she's now, like she's used him to gain fame. And all he's done now is be paranoid and nervous. And the song is a metaphor for starting a relationship and going through it, but finding that one one incident, that one bad thing that changes everything, where now you're paranoid. Now you don't know who to trust. Now you're not sure if your woman is your woman or if she's someone else's. So, in other words, this entire song is a metaphor for like the old Jim Carrey movie, Once Bitten about vampires coming through and taking over for you. You come in, you save someone, like as like in the movie, Jim Carrey saved Amanda Burst, and he thought everything was okay. He came in, but then find out, oh, she's a vampire now. Or is that, or is it the other way around? I can't remember. One was a vampire, and they wind up being issues and trauma and all that craziness. But, at the end of that movie, everything works out because he learns to trust himself and trust her. Whereas in the end of this song, he can no longer trust anyone. And now he's going to be paranoid for the rest of the time while he's on a tour bus wondering if he has a wife, if he has a girlfriend or not. Okay, 
Once bitten, twice shy. Interesting, interesting. Well, um, I'm going to go with a much more innocent theme with Every Little Step by Bobby Brown. And to say more innocent and Bobby Brown in the same sentence, especially as we know him now, is a little, little oxymoronic, a little contradictory. But yes, boys and girls, there was a time where Bobby Brown actually has some type of chill in his life. With this song, this, this, even though I had already gone over some pretty deep lyrics from the first two artists, I don't think that this song uh, lacks depth. As a matter of fact, I feel like that there's some parts of this song that are some nice little references and callbacks to uh, what made Bobby Brown successful in the beginning, which was his first group, New Edition. Now, as we know, New Edition was immensely popular. They uh, pretty much reignited the uh, boy band craze of the 80s. Uh, either they were kind of the, I don't want to say replacement for the Jacksons, but they were kind of the fill-in-the-void teen bop band that came along the right place at the right time. Bobby Brown emerged as the, the voice, the entertainer, not to disparage uh, any of the other guys, uh, Belle Bib DeVoe or Ralph Tresvon, you know, Ralph Tresvon's amazing voice, uh, uh, Johnny Gill, amazing voice, uh, not to disparage any of those guys, but Bobby Brown was was kind of the, the, the talent that uh, the band was built around, and when he broke away, it was no surprise that My Prerogative was one of the top albums of 1989. It may have actually been, I was, I was either that or usual, uh, I'm sorry, Appetite for Destruction for Guns N' Roses. One of those two were the biggest selling album of the year 1989. And uh, this little pop ditty, Every Little Step, is uh, along the same lines of the great bubblegum type music that you would expect to hear out of someone who was in a boy band for uh, as long as he was. The difference here is that it's a more of a mature sound. You know, the song is starting to uh, morph into what became known in the late 80s and early 90s as New Jack Swing. So you hear a lot of really cool like instrumentation, a lot of synth and backbeats and some, uh, some beginning allusions to uh, the burgeoning rap and hip hop genres that are coming up rapidly throughout the 90s. something even innocent enough. I can't sleep at night, I toss and turn listening for the telephone. Now, any astute new edition or Bobby Brown fan would automatically recognize that one of the biggest new edition hits was Mr. Telephone Man, uh, a song that Bobby Brown sang while he was in, in the group. Um, so th I think that's a nice little callback to uh, a song that he had already a song about having problems with communication. You know, back in the day, there uh, telephones were connected to landlines. I don't know if anybody remembers. And at, at some point, you even needed uh, an actual live voice on the other end called an operator who would help you connect with the person on the other line. Uh, so just like in his uh, teen or preteen days, uh, he needed uh, Mr. Telephone Man to come in and fix the line. Uh, when he's on his own, he has the same phone trouble. I guess maybe he should uh, hook up with somebody other than Bell, AT&T, or whatever was out there on the East Coast. But as he's talking about, he's, he's sitting, waiting for the telephone, and then he says, when I get your call, I'm all choked up. I can't believe you called my home. And as a matter of fact, it blows my mind you would even talk to me, because a girl like you is like a dream come true, a real life fantasy. 
Now, with a lot of the 80s, especially with the rise of the hair bands, you see a lot of machismo, right? We just talked about once bitten, twice shy about a guy who's taking over and, you know, he's, he's having to uh, do what he feels right as a man to rectify the situation with violence and with, with threats and, and with, uh, um, with an ugly situation. But this is an interesting uh, flip on that. Um, it's, the, it's him waiting by the telephone. Usually the traditional way to think about it is uh, it's a Friday or Saturday night and the teenage girl is waiting, sitting by the phone on her couch waiting for the boy to call her. Well, the tables have turned in this song and it's in fact Bobby Brown who's waiting for uh, the girl to call him. And when uh, he does, he's the one who reacts emotionally. He's the one who flips out. He's the one who is amazed because such uh, an amazing girl uh, would actually call him, uh, as he calls her, a real life fantasy. Go through the, the, the bridge, no matter what your friends try to tell you, we were made to fall in love. Typical, he's no good for you, or there is no match, or why, why is she dating him? Uh, banter that, you know, of course, true love is going to withstand and, and overcome. But I think also what's interesting is if you go into the very little remembered second lyrics of the song, you go to the second verse, and he's still infatuated very much like the previous song, So Alive. He's so infatuated that this girl is in love with him. Uh, he can't think too straight. I'm all confused. You must have put a thing on me because there ain't no words that can explain. I'm living in ecstasy. And you can best believe I got your back. You never have to feel no pain because I dedicate my life to you. You never look for love again. He is so committed in this relationship that, again, he would do everything to have her back, to be there for her. Every little step I take, you'll be there. Every little step I make, we'll be together. Um, this could come off as stalkerish or come off as intense. We know from... Fast forwarding into the future with his relationship with uh, Whitney Houston, God rest her soul, that it was a very intense relationship that they had, a very intense love they had for each other. They may not have been doing the right things uh, all the time together, but when they were together, it was magic and uh, kind of the guy that he is. Bobby Brown's very passionate. Bobby Brown is uh, doesn't hesitate to show his feelings, you know. Uh, he won't hesitate to uh, stop the concert, mid-concert, and take over and basically call his bandmates trash in front of a packed uh, concert full of, uh, uh, full of fans. Uh, you know, he, he won't hesitate to uh, uh, show out backstage or anything like that. He did in a fistfight. He's a very emotional guy, and these lyrics kind of explained it. And I think that there is a little bit of a depth here to the lyrics. I feel like he is really... Uh, uh, really just uh, kind of flipped the script again, so to speak, by him being the one who's anticipating the call from the girl instead of the other way around. And just to express how excited he is that this girl called him back, that he's uh, just, mind is blown that someone would be interested in him uh, who is so beautiful and fine as this, as this lady seems to be. So... I think the lyrics of Every Little Step are a little deeper than people give it credit for. Um, and it still makes for a catchy pop song that, you know, reminds us what catchy pop songs are supposed to be. They're supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be about uh, love and, and, and just being so amazingly in love. So I'm going with that. Every Little Step by Bobby Brown for my final song. Um, All right. So let's kind of find it out. We had uh, two diametrically opposed lyrics, I guess, right there. Uh, one was kind of like gentle love and, and being infatuated with being in love. And the other uh, one, uh, the, uh, the guy, the, the, the lead singer, took a, <laughs> took a guitar and probably beat somebody to death with it. I, you know what? I look at it like they're, they're the same coin. It's In every little step, he's building that infatuation with the girl. Like, oh... We can fall in love. We're made to be together. This is us. We're every step you take, we will you will be there. 
Why? Because I caught you with another guy, and therefore I have to watch you wherever you go. So they could be two sides of the same coin, just um, sung by different people, or maybe not. I don't know. Hmm. See, my take on uh, once been twice shy kind of is um, I'm uh, really frightened of great white. They seem to uh, be followed, kind of like uh, the, the the clouds of doom everywhere they go with the, with their lyrics, with the songs that they choose, and and you know uh, everywhere they go, they seem to be either picking a fight or something bad happens. You know, you've got fire explosions. It's just it's it's not a good scene. They seem to live the rock and roll style a little too heavily, I think. And and I don't know, you know, real good love is is. I don't know if it's it's it, it should be dangerous. I mean, with the once been twice shy lyrics, those those feelings of love turn into jealousy and anger, and they lead to bad things. Whereas in every little step I take, uh, you know, it's still kind of at that infatuation stage or that dedication stage. Now, I'm not saying again that Bobby Brown was innocent in his relationship with Whitney Houston, and I'm not saying it wasn't destructive, and I'm not saying that there weren't some bad things done, but I mean, I I don't know if I could see, you know, Bobby Brown chasing somebody around with a mic stand, wanting to beat him half to death with it, or then again, maybe I do see Bobby Brown wanting to beat somebody half to death with a mic stand, I don't know. Uh, my final thought on, on Once Bit Twice Shy is, uh, the, the, the lyrics, you know, they're intense and whatnot, and uh, it just proves that the, the more things change, the more things stay the same, that your song was, in fact, a cover from uh, 1975, Ian Hunter, rock and roll Hall of Famer, uh, wrote that song, and I'm not sure if we're going by like originality or, or a sign of the times or whatever, uh, I don't know if, if a cover at this point would be more valuable or not than an actual original lyric. I don't know how you feel about that. Interesting. Um, not you didn't know it was a cover? Of course not, I didn't know. Uh oh, uh oh. Because I, I figured that Great White being named after Jaws, which is the movie I should have used instead of Once Bit, and I take that back. Being the first blockbuster, I thought, oh, they're original. And the song, but the song does have a story to it of cockiness that leads into possession, which leads to going too far, which leads to paranoia, which leads to the tables being turned. So it was like a Twilight Zone episode, so which is also remade in the 80s. So I guess everything about my whole thing was a bunch, it's just a bunch of remakes. It's the Twilight Zone, it's an old song for someone else. And instead of being um, Jaws or Once Bitten, which Once Bitten was just a remake of Dracula with a comedy. Um, they're all the same thing, so yeah, Great White is a lie. Great White, I feel like Great White is uh, definitely a lie, and uh, the song Once Bitten Twice Shy was great uh, when Ian Hunter cut it with uh, uh, producer Mick Bronson, who uh, as you may recognize the last name, yes, he's the father of uh, Mark Ronson and Samantha Ronson, who are DJs and producers in music now, uh, as we speak. It was also covered five years later by none other than Sean Cassidy, who I wouldn't ever put together beating someone half to death with a guitar with Sean Cassidy, but I guess we all have a dark side, so... In, in summation, in closing, I think I may have won today's episode of Lyrical Persuasion. I feel like my song's lyrics are a little stronger than yours this time. I, I have to concede that. But I had a cool theme of movies, and I'm changing my theme again from Great from Jaws to Predator, just because. So, but yeah, I concede this one to you. All right. That's awesome. Uh... I, I I do enjoy the uh, the themes that you put together th thoroughly. Um, did an amazing job arguing with lyrics that didn't seem to have a lot of thought put together. But once you explained the whole Wizard of Oz metaphor for hanging tough, and once you talked about uh, Prince, you know, and again being one of the few artists that could take 
other people's words and put it together musically. You uh, really had me going there, you know, you almost, I think you almost took it. You were this close. If you didn't concede Bat Dance to me too early, I may have uh, given you the, the game today. All right, before we uh, get out of here, are there any songs in that section that we didn't talk about that just like stood out to you briefly? I have one or two that, that I think are, are pretty cool. Um, you have a song that you were thinking about doing that you didn't do or you thinking about that now you probably could have taken or, or, or what's on your mind? Which song uh, is in your honorable mention for this week? Uh, my own honorable mention is uh, Bust a Move by Young MC. Yeah, Just that song was a song, a song that was tough to pass up, I admit. It is. I mean, it's it talks about, it gives you the middle school dance experience. Stand against the wall, don't stand there, bust a move, get off the wall. You know, it's that kind of thing where it shows you how people were in those days. I actually had a conversation with some people two days ago, as a matter of fact, about how when you go into the party, you have people on both sides of the walls and they're just standing there indifferent. And Young MC will tell them to get off the wall, don't just stand there, bust a move, get out there and groove. And that's what I, like I said, it's a good song, but I just, it was so on the nose that I didn't feel like it needed any kind of explanation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the lyrics are brilliant, and uh, it was, again, another one of those songs that was kind of a precursor song to help open up uh, culture and society to uh, legitimate rap songs being uh, good pop songs as well. And uh, that's not the only rap song. I don't want to give away too much of next uh, episode, but there will be another uh, rap artist possibly uh, to talk about in the next section. But before we get ahead of ourselves, my honorable mentions are, again, kind of thematic, just going along with the things that we've been saying in the last two podcasts, where you see some artists who've had success in the 60s and 70s coming back. Rod Stewart charts again with My Heart Can't Tell You No, even though he really didn't fall out of the pop hits of the, he was kind of like Phil Collins. He's able to morph around and and, and hang around with some pretty good hits in the 80s. Uh, so we have a hit from Left Field from Michael Damien. Uh, speaking of remakes from the 60s, uh, Michael Damien, star of The Young and the Restless, performed Rock On on set, and they felt that it was such a good performance that they cut it and then they put it out there as a hit and it ended up charting at 45. So uh, some really interesting little quirky songs at this time and another real quick honorable mention, well, another honorable mention real quick, speaking of uh, boy bands, is uh, Donny Osmond came in at 57 with Soldier Love. It's a very good song, by the way. I was almost going to choose it as one of my songs to analyze lyrically. Uh, but, you know, I, I kind of at the last minute kind of uh, went against it. But still, it's a very good song from Donny Osmond, who's uh, standing the test of time as, as a successful uh, solo act apart from his uh, childhood days. And then we'll just throw Madonna in there was another one of my honorable mention songs with uh, Express Yourself. Again, one of those songs that is encouraging people to not... Uh, stay one-dimensional to break out of the mode to be who you are uh, you know express what you got uh, so I was also wavering picking that one too uh, but I went with the three I went with because I felt like lyrically this the three songs I had had a little bit more artistic kick to it a little bit more interesting uh, weave so uh, into into uh, the, the song itself. So I dug my list. I'm going to congratulate myself. I'm patting myself on the back as we speak. And I just want to remind everybody out there that uh, you can chime in on any of your ideas about any of the songs that we discussed or any on this list. I have posted uh, a link to these songs uh, from Billboard's Year at Hot 100 Singles of 1989 on the lyrical uh, Persuasion Podcast Facebook page. If you want to check it out, you just go to Facebook and type in Lyrical Persuasion. It'll come right up. 
we have a show or about a, a page on there. You can definitely like, sh uh, comment, and share the heck out of that page. Uh, we're going to be posting more of our uh, shows there. And we'll also be posting on SoundCloud as well. So if you want to get us, you can get us in both places right now. Uh, at some point, we may even start uh, putting things on YouTube, even if we just kind of uh, do the uh, video thing while we talk over, uh, uh, you know, like uh, uh, graphics or whatever. But we might be getting on there as well. So you can uh, get a hold of us at Lyrical Persuasion Podcast. You can get a hold of me also, Steve Castellanova. You can find me on Facebook, C-A-S-A-L-I-N-U-O-V-O. And I will direct you right to the page. I try to also post stuff uh, about songs and song lyrics, uh, what I'm into, what I'm digging on the radio at that time, and, and make you aware of it. So if you really like the list or if you have your favorite song off this list that you want to argue, definitely go ahead and leave something in the comments for us to discuss. Uh, also, I'm also on uh, uh, Twitter uh, uh, at uh, Steve C Does Stuff. That's Steve C Does Stuff on Twitter. If you want to get a hold of me about lyrical persuasion, just uh, hashtag lyrical persuasion, and I'll try to uh, get a hold of you either uh, by reading your comments or taking your suggestions for what songs we should talk about next. What about you, Jay? Do you have any other social medias that you want to? Uh, press or uh, a push for people to get a hold of you? Uh, at the moment, I don't have any available. If I ever actually react to my Twitter, I will let you guys know. So Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, good show. As always, I'm up to one, and I'm going to definitely hold that over Jay for the next uh, seven days, however long it takes us to record uh, episode number four. And please join us for episode number four. We'll be back on to talk about the songs that charted from 49 to 39 or 30? 39 to 20. Oh, thir 39 to 20. Wow. We really, yeah, that's right. We've really fly, uh, flown through this uh, list. It's amazing. 39 to 20. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I uh, hope you tune in. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the uh, Lyrical Persuasion Podcast. So thanks for tuning in. I am Steve Castellanovo. I'm Jason Perkins. And we're the co-hosts of the podcast. And remember, it's more than just the beat. It's the lyrics. Lyrical Persuasion Podcast. We're out. Thanks. The song clips used on the Lyrical Persuasion Podcast are not intended for commercial redistribution and fall within the guidelines of commentary and criticism as stated in the fair use principle of copyright law.